I imagine Leilani Arthurs as a child, crawling over lava rocks behind her childhood home in Hawaii. As she collects a myriad of tiny worlds and dances hula beside the ocean, which she'll do through college, I imagine her eyes lighting up as she asks questions of the waves and stones and the shape of the earth. Leilani's curiosity will propel her across the world and into a career in the geological sciences, where she will seek to reshape the way we go about field research so that it's available to everyone who also looks at the earth and wants to ask. I can't imagine Leilani without a sense of wonder. A self-described hydrogeochemist, Leilani's intercross and transdisciplinary work in the university seem a boundless source of questions. But Leilani doesn't keep her curiosity to herself. As you will discover in today's episode, so much of her research invites students, fellow faculty, the public, and now you, our dear listeners, into the world she discovers. Leilani has found innovative ways to bring fieldwork to us, and she can't help but invite us to come along. On the ampersand, we call this bringing together of the impossible, the alchemy of anding. Together, we'll hear stories of humans who imagine and create by colliding their interests. Rather than thinking of and as a simple conjunction in that conjunction-junction kind of way, we will hear stories of people who see and as a verb, a way to speak the beautiful when you intentionally let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. As St. Mary Oliver asks, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Oh, I love this question. When I'm mothering, creating, and collaborating, it reminds me to replace a singular idea of what I think I should become with a full sensory verb about experiencing. I'm Erica Randall, and this is Leilani Arthurs on the Ampersand. As a high school student, I had a lot of interests. Going into undergrad at Berkeley, I honestly did not know what I wanted to major in. In fact, I told my parents I wanted to work for two years so that I could figure out what was going on in the real world. That's exactly what I said. I love that you said that and and that you're going to figure out the real world in two years. (laughs) Yeah, figure out the real world so I can go to college and like study something that I can make a difference with. And you know, there are some memories that we all have that are permanently seared in our brains. So this conversation with my parents was one of them because growing up, I loved learning. Anything I learned, I just loved. There was really nothing I didn't like Mm. to learn about, just expanding my world. But all of this was in the context of the classroom, you know, or my own like romping around outdoors, which I did a lot of. So the world was a classroom for you always? Mostly the classroom, mostly interactions with, you know, people that I played with. But so when I went to college, one of the things that I brought with me was a love for language. So I'm not sure you know this, but my family moved a bit when I was growing up. So my brother and I both learned how to read and write in Spanish before we did English. Okay. We were pretty young when we lived in Colombia. So I had, I think I had a broader world view in terms of culture that I didn't have a language for because it was just normal, you know? Yes. So when I went to college, I wanted to study all of these languages so I could talk with people from all over the world. But it turned out that linguistics was not quite 
what I imagined it would be. Majoring in a single language wasn't quite what I imagined it would be. I didn't want to study Japanese, for example, so that I would reach the level of reading the equivalent of Japanese Shakespeare. That's what majoring in a language involves. I didn't want that. So I studied multiple languages to the extent that I could be conversant. Then I studied linguistics first, or yeah. in conjunction <clears throat> with、um, Mandarin and Japanese. And then I found out oh man, now I learned this language that I can describe all languages with.、Ah. And in the process of taking linguistics, I also studied cognitive science. Now, this is more of a connector to what I do. Now, in a sense,、um, the type of research I do. So, with cognitive science, I got really interested in how people think, how they express their thoughts, how their thoughts express and shape the world around them. I love thinking that you loved thinking so much that you had to study thinking. <laughs> that is so meta and beautiful that, you, that the learning of things. Led you to the learning of learning of things. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a really nice way of putting it, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just feels so real in your experience as an educator, as a, a person of curiosity. How can you convey these ideas that get folks excited to take care of the world around them, themselves, their relationships? Yeah. Is that where that started to build for you then? Well, was as an undergrad? Certainly.、Mm-hmm. certainly. And, you know, the, just the theme of communication, I think that runs through not just. Learning, understanding the world around us, but also trying to make a difference in other people's lives and in the world around our lives. And so it's not surprising that I ended up not majoring in linguistics, not majoring in cognitive science, but I ended up majoring in a major that took those courses. And dubbed it into the major. And that is the peace and conflict studies that you asked me about. Got it. In the process of the coursework and projects that I did for the conflict resolution emphasis, I was introduced to the concept of environmental justice. You know, I thought, wow, now this is a real world thing I can wrap my brain around. So when I finished my major, I thought, I really want to know more about science. Like, how is it? That we can fix some of these environmental issues. Because now I had studied it from the social perspective, but I had all this curiosity about like, how does it work? How does water get contaminated? How can we remediate the water? Sure, I can see like what the epidemiological effects are on communities and the disparate burdens that different communities have when it comes to environmental impacts, but I wanted to understand the science. I hadn't studied any of that. In my major. <laughs> I love that that didn't scare you off. Instead, it said, you said to yourself, I got to know this now. Yes. I, and it's so in the world of, of, of the ampersanders, this is the kind of spark that I have seen and witnessed in all of the folks who've been on this podcast is people who don't just say, huh, then turn on the television or go to their phones. They say, huh, I want to know about that. And then you lean into it. And,、mm-hmm. and that's a, a thing that you also look to inspire in your students. Yes, I try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems so clear. The, the fact that you're trying to find ways, especially to connect to today's contemporary students. I've got an 11 year old who would rather talk about his skins in Fortnite. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And yesterday we picked out a really cool skin. And I have to say, it's kind of an amazing thing to be able to shape shift. 
but they were walking through worlds. They're building worlds. And you've worked with a technology that feels it's like Fortnite for planet saving. And Panos? Is that, am I saying? So the term pano is short for panorama. Okay. So it's a type of photo, actually, that you can take using a 3D camera. And when you take a pano with a 3D camera, you can use software that can turn that 2D image into a 3D visualization. Like a Harry Potter photo. Like a Harry Potter photo. Okay, so we're in a 3D Harry Potter photo world, and you're using this technology in your class. Exactly. And so I started doing this during the pandemic. So I teach a field course. It's an introduction to field geology course. And you probably remember in March 2020, (laughs) we all went remote Mm -hmm. and I was scheduled to teach introduction to field geology in Maymester. And I was told if I wasn't going to be teaching it remotely, I would have to cancel it. And the thing with Intro to Field is that it's a required course. So there were students who were depending on having that course taught in Maymester in order to graduate. And they, some of them probably already walked. It, I don't know okay, if but some of them immediate. had walked. And, yes. it was, and this notion of the field, that it's so critical to be together when we couldn't be together. This inspired you. Yeah. So, you know, it was because I wanted to see my students our students, I wanted to see our department students graduate and not have the pandemic kind of put that barrier up. And so I thought to myself, I can't bring myself to canceling the class. I need to figure out a way to teach it remotely, you know. And as I thought of all the ways that I have read about people teaching remotely, you know, I would never touch remote teaching with a 10-foot pole if it hadn't been for COVID. Uh, and you learned so much from I did this experience. I did. And so, you know, when I thought about it, I thought to myself, you know, the great thing about field geology is that students go out into the field. And not only do they go out in the field, they have a chance to explore because I'm not the type of field instructor that says, okay, read about this site. We're going to go visit it, and then you're going to tell me what you read about at the site. That's not how I teach field geology. Field geology is intended to help students hone their observational skills, hone their ability to record what they observe, develop their ability to interpret their observations, and so on and so forth. So, so these are so like I just have higher... to say, you're, you're teaching poets. This keeps <laughs> happening. All the scientists I talk to, you're actually teaching poetry. I guess so. You are, that's it's well, incredible. It's the same skills. These these relationships to detail, to space, attention, curiosity, yes. translation, or you used another word that you're asking your students to do to interpret, interpret. their observations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you know, I I can't imagine a way to do that in traditional online instruction. And so when one day when very soon after we got the announcement, you have to cancel (laughs) if you're not going to teach in person. I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and I thought, you know, what if I could bring the field to the students? I obviously can't bring the students to the field. I can't pack them in a van. They can't be together. We can't talk face to face. 
But what if I could give them that same or similar experience because I bring the field to their computer so that they can interact with it? And so once I latched onto that idea, I thought to myself, well, there are all these games, 3D games where people ah, navigate you were thinking through about space. Games. Yeah, where people navigate through quote unquote virtual physical space. So I thought, can I do something like that? Has anybody already done that? And so I found that there were some, I'm sure there's better language for it, but cartoon geology environments that you could navigate through. And they had mock geological data that people navigating through the space could dig up, for example. Interesting. Yeah. And I thought, okay, this is close to what I want, but I want students to see the real environment. I want them to be out in the real nature that they would have seen if we were meeting in person. What I wanted to do is create the 3D space of the sites they would have gone to. And so once I figured that out, I thought, well, what kind of technology do I need to do that? And how can I learn how to do it? So I started researching all different types of videography tools. And then I came across the 360 camera and I started reading about it. And then I did research on different types of 360 cameras. And then I told Doug, yeah. my husband, about it. And he said, oh, well, Fisk Planetarium has a 360 <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, maybe you can borrow it. And I said, oh, that would be great. Yep, you can move heaven and earth to teach these kids, <laughs> the two of you. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and were cameras being used like this for accessibility? I think about how to get folks to spaces that maybe they couldn't arrive at. Like our conversation pre-show about the Kalalau Trail. What would it feel like to be on that trail? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a great question that you have about accessibility because before the pandemic, I know several different colleagues in geology departments across the country who had been playing with different ideas to make field geology and field trips in the context of geology courses accessible to, for example, students who were in wheelchairs. And I never thought of, you know, doing something like that, mainly because I don't I have never worked with students who were physically confined in that sense. But I have always been aware of the fact that students have different physical ability. So whatever the site is, I try to make it more accessible by foot. But even so, there's still a range. And as we were talking about before the show, when it rains and trails are muddy, yeah, you can a, get treacherous. Um, a different story. And folks can sleep directly in a sleeping bag on the ground like you, or people need a bed <laughs> like me. So there are, like, this is, I'm, I'm looking at you, Leilani, thinking, like, I bet you could just roll up on any little narrow trail and just tuck in and just find your own little earth spot. Oh, I've got to send you a picture of me literally rolled up into a little hole in the rock. <laughs> I could just see it just right tucked in there. It's just, it's so, it's so clear. But so, so this became another connection for you. Yeah. So, you know, the, the idea of having put together this course for students because of the pandemic, it was done in such a way that it could be used to increase the accessibility of the field to students beyond the pandemic. And so I thought to myself, you know, this is just an incredible, you know, 
people think of the pandemic as like the worst thing that happened. And in many ways, it has been very difficult. But I think there are silver linings to the pandemic in the sense that it's put us in a position that most of us would never have been put into and to learn things we never would have learned and to try things we never would have tried. And for me, I would never have tried teaching remotely if it hadn't been for the pandemic. No doubt. No doubt about that. And I think because I was challenged to do it, the product of that work is something that can live beyond the pandemic to help improve student accessibility to the field. And so I have already used that course to teach one student independently who couldn't do the actual in-person course once the course went back to in-person and was being taught by somebody else. So they asked me, would you teach this person wow. field geology? Because she she can't. And you had do a it. tool for it. And I had a tool for it. Yeah. Exactly. It's so beautiful, Leilani, to hear again that in in the face of that challenge, how do you connect your curiosities? I, I am I'm I'm lit right now to how many times I've heard you say, I thought, or I think, I thought and then I thought thought about how I could get others to think and how this verb for you of thinking is such an actioning space. If this, then this, and it feels like that's been a natural flow your whole life. Speaking of um, feeling, what are you feeling into right now? What are you digging? Are there sites you're desperate to get to? Where do you want to get dirty? What is your, uh, your question right now in the field? Oh my goodness. There's so many things that I want to do. So one of them is I would, you know, okay, so let me backtrack. Okay, take me back. I'm kind of like at the point where I'm trying to figure out what I want to put into my sabbatical proposal. But I have so many ideas on the table. I guess I could say like where I would like to go, but I would could also say like what I want to do and I haven't figured out where to do it. There's so many things. So for example, one of the things that I would love to do is to go and study in South America somewhere because I want to be immersed in the Spanish language. So I like shopping at the Mexican bakery because we just speak Spanish there. I love it. And that <laughs> brings great. you back to your early and roots it me as back a child. To my early roots, exactly. Uh, part of me wants to go back to Iceland and study the geysers there, you know, because it's just fascinating. That's the intersection of water and volcanoes, two things that I really love and that I have been fortunate enough to do research and study in some capacity. So geysers is sort of like the intersection of those two. And I would love to go and just learn something new. You know what? I, I, I think it's our hypothesis. Okay, yeah. it's our our science project. That's what sabbatical fodder. That could be. Okay, I'm excited. I'm, I'm feel I'm I'm feeling that um my next life phase might be as a a scientific researcher. And we could go to New Zealand to do it because that's a place that I've been thinking about going yes. to do research. I have two colleagues there that do geoscience education research, so it's on my list of things to Let's do write to a reach grant. out and to there's, them. And there's and we'll we'll do like dancing and science and we'll dig things. It's going to be so good. I love that. Okay, we're going to do it. I haven't been to New Zealand since I danced in Australia years and years ago, and I have the most fond memories. It was probably the longest amount of time I've ever spent alone, and it was for me um, that moment to be with the landscape, yeah. the ocean, and then the landscape and ocean of myself, and it was a 
I'm I'm in, I'm into it. Okay, we're gonna look at our sabbaticals. We're gonna see about aligning. We can things. do Maori dance and yes. hula dance. Yes, and, we'll, and we can blend do you, them. Do you dance hula? hula. Have you have you studied? Yes, okay, I have studied hula. You have amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. I I I love thinking about. Was it when you were young or when, as you went into all the way into, up all into the way, college? All the way into college. Yep. So when I was at Berkeley, I also danced hula there. I was um, part of a group that danced for campus every year. Actually. We performed. That's incredible, Leilani. Yeah. I didn't know that. So we're going to add that to the ending. So this morning when you were in your kitchen thinking about yourself as an ampersander, it, it rang true. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I love it. Um, I, I want to ask a time that ending, all of this ending, all this connection has maybe let you down. I often think about texting and driving as my no-go zone for ending. But do you have worlds in your life where you wish you would only when you are actually almost always anding? Oh, geez. So I, there are two ways that I could answer this question. One is as far back as high school, I can remember telling myself, if I didn't care so much, life would be easier. And that is like something that I told myself for a long time. Mm. And You um, held that as a truth. Yeah, I did. If I, you know, if I didn't care so much, life would be easier. I and in that context, what I mean is I care about so many things. And that's why I make these connections. Or maybe it's because I make these connections that I care so much, just like the chicken or the egg. So in that sense, I think life would be easier, but it would be so much less interesting. And I am so glad that I outgrew that. If only I didn't care so much mm. to just embrace the fact that I do look for connections, that I love those connections. The other way that I could answer this question is, yes, there's definitely a discrete situation that I would say ampersanding has let me down. And that is, you know, we are so fortunate right now to live in a time where interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, and transdisciplinary research are really valued, where there's a need for it. People who can cross the borders of discipline can bring new perspectives that combine the attributes of multiple ones. But we are not yet in the time where that type of inter, multi, and transdisciplinary research necessarily has a platform where it is recognized for the value that it has as this new sort of phoenix that has risen from these other disciplines to be a new, a new thing. Yes. This new synergistic being, this new synergistic mode of knowing and understanding the world and informing solutions to problems that we have. And that, to me, is where I feel like the concept of ampersanding has let me down. And just to give you a concrete example of that, the first paper that I had submitted to an education journal, mind you, I'm a geoscientist yes. who does geoscience and geoscience education research in my life, was rejected. Because you were Be too ampersandy. Because I was a geoscientist. I was not in the school of education. Ah. And the feedback that I got was, this goes in a geoscience journal. Well, I will tell you, no geoscience journal would publish that kind of research. So, do you, But is it ampersanding that let you down or the world is not ready yet? Ah, 
good question. And this I is think, this think, is part of what you're doing. Yes, yes. So I think you know, in the world that we live in, is not necessarily where it could be in valuing ampersanding. There we are. Thank yeah. you, Leilani. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling that with you. Okay, I think it's time. This is for the quick and dirty. You don't have to be dirty, but you have to be quick. But as a geologist, I imagine you don't mind getting dirty. So I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer as fast as possible. And you're going to put and either in the word like sand huh. or sand and water connecting things. Okay, you okay. ready? Do you feel prepared? I'll try. Okay, good. I can't wait. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the show because um, mostly we're laughing. All right, ready? Your best or favorite anding vacation? Iceland, New Zealand, <laughs> many more lands <laughs> to come. <laughs> Amazing, yes. Um, and do you have to be working to be on vacation or can you just be on vacation or is it always working and ah. or vacation and work? Working and vacation mostly because working is also synonymous with play. I love what I do so Working and play often go hand in hand. I have time to read. I can read Braiding Sweetgrass and I can read a journal article and still be very happy while on vacation and near the ocean. <laughs> yes, that's my absolute perfect version. Okay, um, preferred ice cream or dessert that has and in it? Hmm. I have no favorite uh, dessert or ice cream. Are you a savory? So you want to go savory? Combo savory platter? Oh, I do prefer savory over sweet. Okay, so if you were going to make a trail mix for the Kalalau Trail, what would be in your trail mix? Ah, raisins, peanuts, coconut, coconut flakes. Yeah. And I keep forgetting to put the and. <laughs> we see it. We see it. I'll do it. Raisins and peanuts and coconut flakes and <laughs> dried pineapple and macadamia nuts and last but not least my favorite type of nut almonds <laughs> <laughs> you're my favorite type of nut okay <laughs> we're going to i love that you know exactly what goes in your trail mix i knew we'd get there all right um and ander you admire mm, and ander i admire there's so many People, maybe. Hmm. Benjamin Franklin. Then you need to see the play that's happening in Denver. That's a reimagination of Franklin. Okay, I'll send you the. I'll send you the email. But Benjamin Franklin, what were some of his favorite endings for you? I think what he did in science and what he did for, um, you know, politics, defining our. Nation. I just think that those are some major andings that he did that really helped to shape not only his individual life and the people in his sphere, but our nation. 
I love it. I love the way that you see uh, the learning and how it expands you and then these circles that, that ripple out into mm-hmm. our communities and into our worlds. All right, here on the ampersand, we always like to offer a toast or a blessing or some something from our guests that would sound like, and may there always be sour cream for your nachos or whatever it feels <laughs> like the, a, a, an offering. Do you have an and da, 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 that you'd like to send us out with today? And life is short. The time we have is a gift. And let us use that time to gift ourselves and each other to the best we can. That was Leilani Arthurs, Associate Professor of Geological Sciences at CU Boulder. If you'd like to know more about Leilani's research, especially her work on Earth science education, we'll leave links in the show notes. The Ampersand is written and produced by me, Erica Randall, and Tim Grassley. If there are folks you'd like to hear from on The Ampersand, do please email us at asinfo at colorado.edu. Our theme music was composed and performed by Nelson Walker, a CU Boulder alum, brilliant cellist, composer, and a fantastic dancer. Episodes are recorded at Interplay Studios in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Erica Randall. And this is The Ampersand. Ampersand.